You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Sleep Cove podcast can help you. Hi, I'm Christopher Fitton, the voice and clinical hypnotherapist behind Sleep Cove. Sleep Cove features sleep hypnosis, meditations and bedtime stories, all designed to help those of you who struggle at night to achieve a restful and peaceful night's sleep. Search for Sleep Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see why Sleep Cove helps millions of people sleep deeply all night long. I tried to Google fun facts about Pittsburgh. Want to guess what I found? Nothing. Exactly right. Fun fact, and this is true, there's nothing fun about Pittsburgh. That's why when you Google it, you get notable facts like George Washington passed through the city limits on two occasions on his way somewhere worthwhile. Or they have the world's largest museum dedicated to one of the world's most boring artists. Want to guess who? Uh, Let me think. I, I think I know the answer from something I heard before. Andy Warhol. Andy Warhol is right. Giant museum because the man just collected garbage. Produced videos so boring even his friends walked out. Now, we're not going to be focusing on Warhol so much for this episode. We're going to be focusing on another Pittsburgh native, Burton Morris. I feel like who art ed? Who art ed? Mr. Wood art ed me. Either way, it's ambiguous. It works on so many levels. I know. That's off to a great start. Welcome to Who Arted, where we explore visual arts in an audio medium. I'm your host, Kyle Wood, and today my guest is Chuck Hoff, the art teacher from Mill Street Elementary. Thanks for joining me. Oh, thank you, Kyle. Look forward to uh, having this discussion today. Yeah, we're, today we're going to be talking about Burton Morris. He is an American pop art painter. He's a contemporary artist, actually, uh, still living and working today. And he hails from Pittsburgh, which is why we opened with a little bit of information about Pittsburgh. And are you familiar with his work? A little, little bit. I uh, was able to do a hard crunch on, um, on the internet and then found that most of his stuff I saw on the many episodes of Friends. Yeah, he was one of those artists that like I had seen a million times before I had any idea who he was. Um, he was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in 1964, and he earned his BFA from Carnegie Mellon University in 1986. So like when I think about when he was coming out of school, you know, mid to late 80s, that's the time of like Warhol and Keith Haring, which I have to say probably informed his work quite a bit. Now, like Warhol, he also started his career in advertising. I feel like I could spend this entire episode saying, like Warhol. I mean, he is a little bit different. He does his own thing. Um, I'd say, in a lot of ways, sort of more polished and um, presentable than a lot of Warhol's stuff. But uh, a lot of stuff very, very much has that Warhol feel to me. Um, he actually 
opened his own studios, Burton Morris Studios, in 1990. So he started off in advertising and then moved into you know his own studio practice. And he started making essentially like small icons into large scale paintings. I think he referred to them as like instant happenings. Is that right? That's what I read, yes. Yeah. The biggest bit of recognition, like I said, I saw him a million times before I even knew who he was. He had those corporate connections because he started his career in advertising. And no doubt that helped him to land plum gigs where his work would be featured in the background on a little-known television program called Friends. Are you familiar with it? A little bit. And it was funny to uh, research, do some of my research, and find that uh, it it wasn't as subtle as I thought. Like, as, as I was looking at some of the still shots... I, it was everywhere. It was on the back walls. It was on T-shirts. Um, he, he basically, he made the icon his, and he kind of branded the show, which yeah, is in, pretty in clever. A, which it is, is pretty is, clever. Yeah. Yeah, it is weird. It, it feels, and also, like, his artwork feels very 90s to me. You know what I mean? Like, not just because of the fact that it was produced in the 90s, but also because it has the feel of clip art. You know what I mean? It, it's like Microsoft Clippy started making paintings. That's exactly what I thought. I, I, I was particularly struck with his like coffee mug and some of the uh, diner or restaurant-themed ones and like his Coca-Cola. And, and I thought, where have I seen this before? And I remember it was a giant box you received when you first bought a computer. And it had, <laughs> you had the option of, like, you know, grabbing 100,000 clip art images for free. And yeah, so, and it, yeah. Well, and it, it's funny, too, because, like, as a child of the 90s, like, I remember, you know, those desktop publishing things where everybody was making really terrible homemade cards and stuff like that. And, like his paintings have that feel of like the clip art you were embarrassed to have on your card. And he just like ran with it. (laughs) (laughs) He did. And and I also think like, you know, good for him that he came up with something that probably thought, you know, he could synthesize, he could make it so much more simple and use so much less data. Like later, you know, as he's continuing his artwork and evolving a little bit, um, it's just so easy to mass produce and I don't know to call it his, but how do you differentiate that from someone else drawing similar? Well, and that's, I mean, that's the central sort of conundrum of the pop art movement. So it, it is worth saying he is sort of a pop art painter. And a lot of that is sort of deceptively simple because the images do feel very flat. They feel very familiar. And that's not by accident. We both know the pop art movement was focused on pop culture and consumerism and all of the things that the symbols and icons that we see everywhere that we are inundated with. You know, in, in a lot of ways, what he does is he takes those small things that, that we see all the time that go unnoticed and unappreciated, and he makes them large scale and in your face, and he, he presents them in a gallery so you have to stop and take notice. You know what I mean? Well, and, yeah, yeah, I was going to say, I was on a separate or slightly a bit of a tangent. Um, we're inundated right now with e-learning, and one of the really... Um, 
clicky and trendy things to do is to turn everything into bitmojis. I feel attacked right now. Yeah, and (laughs) attacked is a better word. Because because I just spent so much time on my delightfully tacky bitmoji classroom. Correct. And so, yeah, and I'm thinking there he is. He came, like if he had to, you know, be the fortune teller as to where he was heading, this is it. Just simplifying every single image to a to a cartoon, if you will. Well, actually, if I recall, where he's heading is back to the friend's dine, uh, friend's coffee shop or whatever. I think he's doing like a pop-up gallery or installation, doing a tribute to his his friend's artwork. Because, well, you know, yeah, and it's funny. He peaked in the '90s, yeah, right. And it's kind of <laughs> funny, yeah. And I was thinking, like, I was thinking his net worth would be, you know, 10, 20, 30 million because of momentum and what he's done since then. But no, I mean, we're 1.6 billion, which is kind of the life. I'd take it. I'd take it. But it is the lifespan of like, you know, a, a, a professional, if you will. So he's had to, he's had to work hard. Like this hasn't Yeah, stopped. I mean, thir- like, because he's, he's a well-known, you know, He's well known in the art world. He's pretty commercially successful. And a lot of people think of, like, because you see those astronomical price right. tags of, you know, Banksy's and, and other artists who become household names, people just assume, you know, he's got to have so much money, um, which, I mean, not to, not to say he doesn't. I mean, one point, whatever you, you said, good amount of money, but that's over a 30-year career. It's not like every single painting he does auctions for seven figures, the way you think of like a Picasso or something like that. Right. Um, yeah, and, and so now he is actually doing work that is sort of paying tribute to his, his earlier work that, that brought him so much, so much fame. And in some ways, like, it, it seems so appropriate that a pop artist would be featured on an NBC sitcom and, you know, about like people who just seem to be sitting around in a coffee shop all day in New York. Money doesn't seem to be an issue and they're just inventing wacky problems to get themselves in and out of. Um, Like there's so, there's so much about it that just seems so like perfectly superficial you know what I mean? In the synthesis of it. And uh, like friends, it feels like they're just almost like self-consciously taking on like, let's populate it with like pop art graphics. Yes. You know? and, and it kind of, it, it may be just what we need to take our minds off of the social issues we're dealing with maybe today where you're thinking this might actually, this spinoff might actually work and this actually might work today. Um, if this, if, because of today's issues. Are you binging reruns of Friends? Is that what you're telling me? I think a steady that, diet of Friends. Is that fr- your safe space? Yeah, Friends and uh, maybe Seinfeld. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely prefer the, the second of those yes. two. Um, now, looking at, looking at his artwork, getting back to the actual topic at hand. So one of the things we talked about is the simplicity of the design. Although it is sort of deceptively simple because... As much as like it, you or I could draw a coffee cup fairly easily. Yeah. Um, it's very carefully and meticulously rendered, you know, and he creates these 
these icons that in a lot of ways they look like woodcuts, but they're paintings. And the reason I say they look like they're woodcuts is because of the, the sort of hatching lines that we see. Um, for the audience, I guess the hatching lines, they're, they're, they're these black lines that are used to indicate shadow. And the more of them there are and the closer they are together, the darker it's going to appear, right? Yeah. It calls back to like printmaking methods. And aside from the obvious like Warhol influence and Keith Haring influence, um, from what I understand, Burton Morris was a big fan of Albrecht Dürer. Um, so you're familiar with Durer, you know, a couple hundred years ago, he was making wood carvings right. to, to create his prints. And so that's where we see that style coming out with all of those lines, like I said, sort of the hatching lines. And he's just, he's making almost a cartoon version of those hatching lines, right? Where they, they become these wedges and this like cartoon burst, but also have that sort of shading effect and i see that but i kyle i struggle a little bit because i also see brito ramiro Bateau, yeah yeah and a lot of his and um I, I i've looked at his work and i i find it to be almost um a, a dead comparison like when i see the two i just see so much going on that resembles each other. Uh, both artists are branding their stuff, and both artists are uh, healthy and in different shops and trying to, you know, put their stuffs on shoes and different, uh, you know, I don't know. It just it was it was interesting to me. That was the first thing that came to mind. Not sure what you thought. Well, the comparison to Ramiro Berteau, of course, makes sense to me. Um, I mean, they're both. They're both poppy artists. Um, I find Ramiro Berteau mo more interesting in most of his work because of the fact that it's not straight pop. It has a little bit of cubist influence, and yeah. the way he, the way he incorporates different patterns. There's there's more of a transformational quality to um, Ramiro Berteau, whereas Burton Morris is it's more direct in copying what he's doing and simplifying it and translating it to this print style, it, much like, like Lichtenstein to me, yeah. you know, Lichtenstein had so much with, with the dots calling back another printmaking method. But, um, but to me, that's where, that's where I went because it is very direct copying of what he is seeing. He's n uh, he does invent a little bit of his own imagery and things like that, but you know the Statue of Liberty. He he's not like fragmenting her. He's not putting wild patterns on there. It's green with black marks for the shadows and stuff like that. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Calm Cove podcast can help you sleep deeply all night long. 
Cobb Cove has deeply relaxing meditation music and ambient sounds like ocean waves and crackling fires. All of our episodes are designed to help you relax and to fall asleep fast. Calm Cove is brought to you by the team behind Sleep Cove, the sleep podcast that consists of spoken word hypnosis, meditation and stories. So if you want to listen to a beautiful soundscape tonight, search for Calm Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see how we're helping millions of people relax and go to sleep every night. Um, the, the one piece I want to dive a little bit deeper into for, for this, I guess would be, um, his nightstand portrait, specifically the war hall, just because I think it's, it's interesting to, to me because we started off with comparisons to war hall. They're both from Pittsburgh. They're both in the pop art movement and his nightstand portraits, even though they're not necessarily what made him famous, I feel like it's where he became interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So do you want to describe what you're seeing in the Warhol portrait? Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, in, in, as we break down the composition of this piece, I can appreciate the triangle uh, that he put in place with uh, the soup can, the eyeglasses, and the Polaroid. Um, so to me, it triangulates and keeps you kind of focused in those three, those three objects. And, uh, you know, a little bit on the, on the flowers behind it. But what we're looking at is a Polaroid of uh, Marilyn Monroe. And we're looking at a, a soup can. And then we're looking at some eyeglasses. Um, and, and I think, I think yep. it's interesting that you right off the bat start talking about the movement across the composition with those three things. I like, I, I totally see it because, especially because of the angles I'm noticing now that you've said that the Polaroids coming out at an angle that leads very nicely into like the frame of the, the glasses and then the, the, glasses lead like create these lines that lead you right back to that soup can um and those three things do seem to have the most weight in the composition that's a really good point i hadn't thought about that and and for me it's like you know because you want to you want to differentiate like you know the idea that um a person would be like a copy artist or that he's just so enamored by a movement that he stays there forever you still want some structure, like you still want to know and be reminded that we all went to some of the same primary art classes and had some ideas of composition. So that's the first thing that struck me. Of course, the second thing, um, color, you know, um, Polaroid camera is very pop arty, contrasting colors. Um, Soup can is made to look like the soup can. so you have that happening right next to each other, and I find that to be pretty interesting. Uh, but his use of colors, simple as it may, his combination of the opposite colors, staying cool in one section and warm in the other, it really works. Yeah, I mean, there is good contrast to make every color pop and seem bright. Um, I think also, like you say, the fact that it's a Polaroid you know, and the soup can, those are things that are so much identified with Andy Warhol. 
um, because of the fact that like the Polaroid, it's so disposable. You know what I mean? Like it, you don't you don't walk into someone's home and see like Polaroids that are neatly matted and framed. Like a Polaroid is just like that instant gratification, which on some level I feel like pop art was so much about and in some ways sort of questioning and and focusing on like what we're doing with that stuff um and i i think the other thing that's interesting that we haven't even talked about is this is a portrait of andy warhol but where is andy he's not he's not here like you were talking so much about the the elements and how it's arranged but the thing that to me was screaming that I, I find so interesting about this is it's a portrait of a person without including any visual of that person. It is symbols of them. Like we see the, you know, the Studio 54 logo on a, on a card, which, you know, Andy Warhol would frequent Studio 54, which right there, that tells us a little bit about, you know, Warhol as this somewhat decadent and celebrity obsessed and, you know, cultural figure and icon. We see the Polaroid camera that also happens to be shooting out the Marilyn Monroe, which is one of Warhol's most famous series. Um, we see the tomato soup can, which again is one of his most famous works of art. Like, um, we're not seeing necessarily like his lesser known stuff. The reason the Warhol Museum is like the biggest dedicated to a single artist is because Andy Warhol had a factory turning out stuff. Like I think of Andy Warhol, and I know this is not going to be a popular opinion. He is proof even a blind squirrel will find a nut if it forages long enough. Not to make light of physically challenged small woodland creatures, it's just Andy Warhol basically was churning out garbage from his factory, but occasionally he did stumble onto something that was really great and innovative and brilliant. But like, if you turn out enough stuff, there will be a couple of hits and people will forget about the myriad misses, you know? Like he was just filming people doing mundane tasks that just like would bore everyone to, to death, but people forget about that and they remember, oh yeah, the colorful Marilyn, the flowers, yeah, the soup I, can. And I kind of see yeah. this being like the, his greatest hits. So I kind of look and I, and I see that the self-portrait would be the eyeglasses, but I also see that he doesn't try too hard to overstate this. Like he doesn't go way out there and try to be something other than himself. So like, I see that he consistently will at times put shadows in different positions. So the shadow of the glasses are to the left and the shadow of the Polaroids to the right. So there isn't like the, the yeah. light in this source is going to only fit as there is space. So he's gonna throw a shadow this way because there's just and appropriate space. Yeah, so it's like it it's more just what does the picture need than what's actually happening in front of him. Right. And right? so yeah, so he looks at the objects, he says, Yes, these are the three, four, five objects that I could sneak in there and people will identify only Andy Andy Warhol. But I'm not gonna 
overextend. I am not, I'm going to be very careful that you don't see through the eyeglasses. And I feel like that is the, I feel like that is the theme of his work. I'm not going to overextend. Yes. Let's keep it simple. Let's keep it surface level. Yes. I, and, and I could appreciate it because I know as I'm sketching personally, there's times when I get into that trap where I'm like, oh no. And this now sketch is going to be a four or five hour sketch because I went too far with it. Like I've decided to add value or do a crosshatch that's a lot more complex. These are all timed photographs. I feel like, or paintings or prints or whatever, but I feel like each of them are two to three hours. Like there's something about what he does. You know what I mean? If it's computer generated, maybe it's an hour. Yeah, I well, I'm pretty sure he's. Pa- I'm pretty sure these are acrylics. Okay, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's he's doing it by hand. I could be wrong in that, but I I thought he was doing acrylics. Maybe maybe that changes over time. But um, you know, for me, it's it's not even about the medium. It's not even about the time. It's it's to me, it feels like it's all right there on the surface, and. I go back and forth on that because on, on the one hand, sometimes I look at it and I get frustrated because I'm, I'm just like, well, the soup can symbolizes obviousness, you know? I mean, like, it's just like all right in front of you. It's just like, I'm making a portrait of Andy Warhol. Let's take the most recognizable symbols of him, his most famous works, throw it together. On the other hand, there's something interesting about you know, I, I do have to say legitimately, I respect the idea of coming up with portraits through objects, through a still life as representing the person and representing the figure. I, I just feel like there is no greater insight, you know, I, at I, the same time, like art can just be fun. And this is fun to look at, you know? Right. Like, unless you have a, you know, hyperrealism is, is definitely one section and what Chuck Close was doing was another section of like self-portraits, but I really appreciate the theme, you know, nightstand portraits, because that to me, that type of branding. Yeah. yeah. And there's something about like the nightstand that I think is an interesting symbol also in there, because like when we think about the bedroom, it's like when you're a kid, your bedroom is the first and really only place that you can decorate and make yours and it's a reflection of your personality like and and then you know as you get older your bedroom is your private space it's you're sleeping you're vulnerable there and so there's something about a nightstand that feels a little bit sort of intimate and unguarded and i think it's it's an interesting concept that i i I wish were developed further it particularly because it infuses his art pop art and then these characters, I mean, he could have done this for, he could do this for every single artist and it would be, it's brilliant. It's a really nice way to attack. Well, and, and it is a pretty big series. Like he does this with fictional characters. We see like, you know, the Batman uh, nightstand portrait and stuff. He does it with, you know, the sports ball players and stuff like that. He does um, like Mickey, this, Toy Story, Popeye. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's done tons of stuff. And so, I, like, I think there is sort of fertile grant, ground there for him to explore. Um, I, like I said, I just I get conflicted over it. And I'm wrapping it up. I want just a three-point rating scale. And where should this hang? The Louvre? Is this something to look at? The lab? the lab? Is this something to learn from? 
or the loot. British for the bathroom. Yeah, there's the a loot joke in there somewhere. Yeah. Oh, that's terrible. I'm gonna go with the loo, but I I'm gonna go with the loo, uh, because I enjoy my time, uh, <laughs> <laughs> in the loo. So I I would I would again. It's a pleasant dis- it's a pleasant distraction. It is, and I and I I don't think his paintings necessarily are at a level of that, but I just think. Uh, like I was telling you before, it's an Airbnb themed bedroom. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know how much range he presented me. That's fair enough. Okay. I, I, I was conflicted. Like I say, I, I keep going back and forth on it, but I think where I ultimately end up is I would put this in the Louvre because the Louvre, you know, museums, that's where I feel like I want to see stuff that's enjoyable to look at, you know? Everyone should see and enjoy the work. The lab, I feel like you learn from that piece, even if you don't like it. And and I feel like I feel like the Louvre needs and other museums need pieces that are just enjoyable. That you don't need to study, you don't need to know, like you know, like when I when I look at like Mondrian or something, it's sure. like why, why do I care about the primary colors of squares and rectangles? And, you know, with this, it's like, I don't need, I don't need to know the bigger ideas behind it. I can look at that and be like, that's bright and colorful and fun. And even if I don't know who Andy Warhol is, I have an entry point where I can see like a Polaroid camera and a tomato soup can and artifacts that I, that I can recognize and make sense of. And then I can see these colors that seem bright and fun and enjoyable to look at. And I can enjoy the aesthetics even. You well, know? And, and, and this is where I become a both Cubs and Sox fan because yeah. I would say his nightstand portraits are Louvre, like you've said, because I see a huge jumping, po- like, I, I think yeah. he, I think he's had a, a big quantum leap. Yeah. I mean, of, of, of everything I've seen him do, yeah. those nightstand portraits, that's where, that's where it becomes interesting to me. Okay. Everything else, you know, again, it's not that it's bad. Like it's, it's all very, very well done. I certainly would not fault him for that. It's just not interesting to me. And, you know, like a lot of it looks okay. Some of it to me feels like eh, it's not even like that aesthetically pleasing. The nightstand portraits, because it's more than one thing, you know, it's this collection. Yeah. And, and that, that gets me to, that gets me to linger on it a little bit longer, even if I'm not trying to puzzle over it to make sense of it. You so, know what I mean? So I think we agree on that. Like, like yeah. pre-nightstand portraits or anything other than that, I struggle with a little bit because there's just not enough there. Uh, but these nightstand portraits, I'm like, that's pretty genius. And I can say that that's like a spin on um, still lives. You know, it's like a really cool contemporary and trendy still life. Yeah. Which, cool. Like I said, that's what I thought it was interesting. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to discuss a collection of junk might be seen on Andy Warhol's uh, nightstand. I appreciate it. Well, I really appreciate the time. And he, like, I've, I'm so glad I selected him. Knew him a little, know him a lot more, and look forward to seeing it a little bit more on Friends. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you.
This concludes this week's episode of Who Arted? If you found this tolerable, please like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. You can find images of the work being discussed this week and every week in the show notes on Twitter at WoodArtEd and the website WhoArtedPodcast.com. Podcast done.